0: Good morning. good morning if you got your bible open it to luke chapter 15 please and we will continue in our character studies in the bible we made it through the old testament and now we're working our way through the new and uh, we're going to read about the prodigal son this morning before we read it how many know what the word prodigal means you don't have to tell me just raise your hand if you know wow i'm amazed Okay, well, we'll define it for you in a minute. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, this is Jesus speaking. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. There's the word. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found i love the word of god don't you man no book like it prodigal i think you've gathered from it by the way and some of you may have another word ruinous i think ruinous living the idea is just throw stuff away throw your money away okay no restraint whatever you want you get it that's the kind of living that he did there in this far off land this passage is wonderful this whole chapter is uh, taught by the lord really in response to a complaint from the pharisees so to get the context look at verses one and two <clears throat> verse one Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him this is to hear jesus and the pharisees and scribes complained saying this man receives sinners and eats with them yeah amen They didn't like it. He's supposed to be rubbing shoulders with us. You know, we avoid those people like the plague and so should he. And so to answer them, the Lord Jesus tells three wonderful stories. He is the master of teaching spiritual truth. And in the stories, he captures something that's common to all of us. You ever lost anything valuable and diligently searched? You know, the feeling of having lost that, whatever it was, it's terrible, isn't it? And all of a sudden you're focused on looking for that thing. And so Jesus uses that strong emotion in here to teach us something. And then there's another strong emotion, hopefully associated with that experience. And that's when you find it have you had that you lost something that's valuable and you and you look and you look maybe you call the rest of the family to help you and all of a sudden there's this i found it right and so jesus uh has three stories with three lost items uh one of them is a coin and i can give you illustrations from my own experience uh in each of these areas the coin just represents something valuable Um, I checked with Carleen to make sure I could tell this story. That's my wife. I was a fresh employee out at the lab 35 years ago. And uh, they had the option of mailing your paycheck to your house. And uh, so my first paycheck should have come, but I never saw it. So I checked at work the next day and they said, oh, yeah, we mailed it off. You should have it. So I called my wife at home and I said, sweetheart (laughs) have you seen my check she said what check no and i said well they said they've mailed it so it's either lost in the mail or somehow you know got lost around the house so she said well i'll look well i got a call a couple hours later from her at work and uh bless her heart She'd thrown it away. We lived in a condominium complex. I think there were 18 units in it. And we had a dumpster. That served the whole complex. Okay. And it was pretty full. And so after having gone through all the garbage cans in the house, she went out into that dumpster. Yeah. And combed through it. And she found the check. Bless her heart. Um, But uh, I didn't know any of that. All I knew was the joy in her voice when she called me on the phone. And I found out later just what she'd gone through to find that check. But it's a good illustration, isn't it? Of what we'll go through sometimes to find something that's lost. Now, you know that feeling, don't you? See, Jesus uses that to say that's how God feels about you when you're lost. He's got such a yearning inside that he'll do anything to bring you back to himself. And then when he finds you, he is so happy. He celebrates. Isn't that great? And, you know, we take it for granted that Jesus says things like this. You know, for example, he says it's like that in heaven, too. Who could say something like that? It's like that in heaven. I couldn't say that. I don't know what it's like in heaven. We just take it for granted. We read it here and Jesus says it. It's like when he was talking to Nicodemus and said, you have to be born again. Wow. Nicodemus is blown away. And Jesus says, look, you're not going to understand me because nobody has been in heaven except the one who ascended to heaven and the one who came down from heaven and the one who is in heaven, namely me. I speak with authority about God and about spiritual things and heaven and you and eternity. And so he's speaking here to us about the heart of God. That's what he's doing. He's opening up the heart of God and his own heart, by the way, he's God. And remember, he's responding to the Pharisees. How can you associate with those dirty, rotten sinners? Somebody said, amen, when I said that. There's a wonderful verse in uh, 1 Timothy. I like the way Paul introduces it. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of full acceptance. Isn't that great? You know, God doesn't have to say that. If it's in the Bible, it's true. But he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of full acceptance. What is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Man, praise God. huh? I couldn't be saved if he didn't do that well i have another the other uh uh story before this one with the prodigal son is about a sheep you know the lost sheep and the 99 that were left behind the closest i'd come to that was a hamster (laughs) i think it was i i can't remember i think it was chewy we had we had several of them anyway he was in his you know hamster balls right plastic things you seal them up and they roll around in them and I thought I'd give him a little uh, change of pace and t- took him out in the garage and he'd run into something and the pop- top came off. I didn't know that until I, I didn't hear the ball anymore and I, and I looked and there it was and there was no, no hamster. And of course, there are a lot of cats in the neighborhood. So and he could have got out to the garage. I found him and I was uh, very happy to see him. And of course, then the ultimate loss though is the loss of a family member here. That, In this case, it's the son closest i could come to that i remember when i was a kid we were at the state fair in sacramento and uh i was about 13 and my uh, younger brother was like three and we're in the crowd looking around all of a sudden we turn around and and uh charlie's not there so you got this three-year-old kid you know lost and i'll tell you you know the fear of god went through our hearts man <clears throat> and we frantically looked and searched he was over he got preoccupied you know with some exhibit over there, but I, I remember the, I still remember to this day the feeling of joy when I saw my brother you know, and that 's what Jesus is trying to tell us about his heart and about the heart of God, you know when he finds his lost okay well. <clears throat> We'll uh, get into it now. Verse 11, it says, uh, he, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. <clears throat> we know their names. Uh, they're distinguished as the older son and the younger son. That's all we know. By the way, in case you're wondering the, why, what this older son is doing here, he represents the Pharisees. Okay, for those of you who would ever wondered. In each of the stories, uh, the unlost items represent the Pharisees. We know that from many things. For example, in verse 7, when he talked about the uh, nine, ninety-nine sheep that he left behind, he said, There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. He's talking about the Pharisees. Okay? We'll talk about repentance and that stuff in a minute. Uh, similarly, there are nine coins that are not lost in the coin thing. And here you get several clues that uh, the older son represents the Pharisees in the, in the prodigal story. Number one, because he's, he sounds like the Pharisees. He's, he's critical, you know, of the younger son of the repentant son. And also this line that he says, you know, he says, uh, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Well, that's the Pharisees, you see, self-righteous. Now, uh, Jesus is not saying here that the Pharisees didn't need repentance or that they kept his commandment all the time. They, they needed repentance badly. And they never kept his commandments. We know that. But it's like when he said um, he's a doctor and he came to heal the sick. Those that are well don't need a doctor. He's not saying that there are some who are sick and some who are not. What he's saying is there are some who acknowledge that they're sick. But there are some, in fact, most people, who are not willing to admit that they're sick. That is that they're sinners and in need of a savior. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay, so does that clear that up? We'll see that in a minute when we get there. Okay, so we have an older son and a younger son in verse 12. The younger son is the one that asks for his part of the inheritance. Younger sons were the same then as they are today. Impetuous. huh? They know it all. It's funny. The younger the son is, the the wiser he thinks thinks he is. Isn't that true? Yeah. I see heads nodding all over the place. Mark Twain put it great. This is Mark Twain's quote. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Isn't that true? Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Okay, well, so the younger son asked for his inheritance in advance. And by the way, most of you are familiar with this passage. You know, the impression you get of this younger son, he really doesn't seem to care about the father at all, does he? You know, it's the inheritance. It's what he can get out of him. And Jesus is deliberately portraying it that way. We're going to see why in a minute. Verse 13, Jesus says, and and uh, not many days after. That's very interesting. That's a clue. In other words, it was not like, I want my inheritance. Okay, now I got my inheritance. Now I wonder what I'll do with it. No. Jesus is saying he'd planned all along what he was going to do. And so as soon as he gets the inheritance, all right, he gets it all together, Jesus says, and takes it all, interestingly, far, far away to a far country. Why do you think he did that to get away from dad? That's right. Yep. Do whatever he wants. So he's had, you know, I can see it. He's a typical young guy, you know, man, I could have a blast with all that money. You know, think of all the cool stuff I could do. Stuff I've never tried before. Stuff I've never experienced. You know, what fun. And so he goes way far away so he can do all that stuff. he's short-sighted isn't he you know more lives have been ruined by people who don't see any further than the end of their nose he he uh had planned far enough to go to the far country and spend it all on whatever he's going to do and he didn't think any further than that well what happens when the money runs out well i'm not going to worry about i'll worry about that when it happens you ever heard that before you know i'll cross that bridge when i what get to it. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Trouble ahead. It's interesting to me that in his commentary, you know, he must have done a lot of stuff if he had half the inheritance and spent it all. Jesus leaves that, whatever he did, he doesn't tell us. It's not important. It's not interesting. Jesus just summarized it this way. He wasted his possessions with prodigal or riotous or unrestrained living that's it that's all jesus says about that part why does jesus choose this kind of an action by the son well i'll tell you why the son's behavior here is very significant because it illustrates the way people are People typically look upon God as useful for what they can get out of him. Most people are like that. I was like that for 25 years. You know, I didn't want anything to do with God personally. You know, if he's going to give me good stuff. Yeah, great. That's fine. But, uh, you know, I want to go to a far country, get as far away from him as possible. Can you relate to that? Man, 25 years I live like that. And the world is full of people, whether they're aborigines or guys on Wall Street, you know. Every single day, God is giving them health, breath, talents, skills, brains, you know, maybe good looks. Who knows anything good they might have was given to them by God and he continues to. Uh, give them these blessings and these benefits day after day, and they squander it on living that has nothing to do with God. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. Cool. All right, now I'm going to go do what I want to do. I want nothing to do with God, just like this son. Do you know that's the worst sin in the world? You say, oh, wait a minute, what about murder? You know, or some of those big... Uh, capital punishment crimes well i can tell you why i know this is the biggest sin because it's breaking the greatest commandment jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment well he told us you should love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength that's that's the greatest commandment we don't think it's the greatest commandment because it doesn't hurt anybody really yeah it's the greatest commandment because it's the greatest sin this is the greatest sin to tell God to get lost. You know, I want to live my life apart from God. I don't want to mess with my life, just like this son. And it's amazing to me the, the patience and the kindness of God, people live 60, 70, 80, 90 years. They want nothing to do with God. And they don't realize that every single day they have been reap, reaping countless blessings from him. From his very hand. It sounds so much like Romans 1, you know? Neither did they glorify him as God, nor did they give thanks. Not wishing to retain the knowledge of God in their hearts. Man, is that ever a graphic picture? I want nothing to do with God. That's the Son. That's why Jesus uh, describes the Son this way He's like me, He's like you. Well, That's the greatest sin in the world. Let me ask you, what place does God have in your heart? In your life? Are you like this son? Be honest. Don't be short-sighted about eternity. You know, this son was short-sighted. He paid for it. Uh, It's fatal to be short-sighted in this area with God. I get in conversation with people. Sometimes it's fun to uh, ask them, Questions about their future. You ever done that? Depending on where they are, you know, uh, so what are your plans for the future? Well, you know, I want to go to school, get get a degree, get an MBA or something like that, you know. Well, then what? Well, you know, nice career, nice paying job, you know. What else? Oh, I don't know, maybe get married, have a family, settle down in suburbia, you know. Then what? Well, I don't know. Someday I'll retire. Then what? Uh, well, I'll live on my uh, pension, you know, my 401k. you know? Travel the world. Then what? Well, I guess I'll die. Then what? And then what? You realize that's the biggest uh, occurrence in your life you should plan for. Jesus talks about the fool that doesn't think of it. Stuffs his barns. And uh, that night, God says, you fool, your soul is going to be required of you. And then who shall these things be? And then what? Think about it. <clears throat> well, verse 14, he began to be in want. Not surprisingly, money's all gone. Good times are over. verses 15 and 16 he gets a job feeding pigs and for a jew this is it's doubly degrading because he's a jew because pigs are unclean animals interesting it says uh, in uh, verse 16 no one gave him anything what happened to all the friends dude i mean with all that money come on i bet you he was crawling with friends at one point where are they now he's all by himself he's hungry He's broke. Verse 17. I love this. It says, but when he came to himself. Now, we're so used to that phrase, we don't realize that's an expression in Greek. This is an old expression. To come to yourself. You think about it grammatically, it doesn't make any sense. To come to yourself. I'm already here, you know. It means to come to your senses. In In the Greek, it was often used like when you wake up out of a trance. You come to yourself. You see things the way they really are. You see clearly. That's what that's what it's communicating, you see. The sense is he, he finally sees for the first time who he is, who his father is, and what the situation is in his life. <clears throat> Has this ever happened to you? You ever seen yourself for who you really are? Yeah, I'll tell you, it, it's, uh, it's not a pleasant thing. God, It took a double whammy for me. And I praise God for it. First time I told, many of you know it now, I got run over by a truck. 24 foot Manson van with over 20,000 uh, pounds of freight in it. I was in a golf cart, the golf cart lost. And I was pretty messed up. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I never went to church. I never read a Bible. God was so far out of my life, I never gave him a thought, ever. And I was happy about it. Going to Berkeley in the 60s, okay? That's where I was living. And I've said it before, but it is so clear to me to this very day, I can remember it. When I woke up on the pavement, First thing I knew was I was going to go to hell. And I didn't need a preacher to bend over me with a Bible and tell me. Why did I know that? Because all of a sudden, I realized that I had never given God the time of day. So why should he give it to me? I deserved only one thing, you know, tossed in the rubbish heap. And I knew it so deeply, it scared the daylights out of me. But uh, so I guess you could say at that point, I came to my senses. For the first man, I'd never seen that before. But I was so convinced of it. Now I could have preached to you. Yeah, I'm a I'm a hell deserving sinner. But it wasn't enough because I did still didn't see my sin the where I really needed to. And you know what it took to get that to happen? To get married. That did it. Two people unsaved in close proximity, you know, 16 hours a day. Sparks began to fly. We already knew each other for five years anyway. We've been going for five years, dating and so on. So the magic wore off real fast. And we were at each other's throats all the time. And of course, from my point of view, it was always her fault. And, and being a math major and a physics major later, I could always explain why. but then I had a close friend I'd grown up with ever since second grade Glenn Evans he was in the war in Vietnam one day during a rocket attack in a bunker he saw a Billy Graham film where they were throwing chairs against the wall and beer cans and everything else and swearing and he got saved he was like me never went to church he came back and he was a different guy and I saw it And my dad had already been through three divorces and I saw myself going the same route and I said, man, I don't want to go through that, you know. So I talked to Glenn and he shared the gospel with me, but it just, it didn't register, you know. I could see, but not clear enough until one day, God, it's like God took a mirror and he put it right there. And all of a sudden, all that self-justification just dropped away. And I saw what a dirty, rotten sinner I was with my wife. Now, I wasn't beating her, you know, or, or being abusive or anything. I was just being an ordinary, self-centered, selfish husband. But I saw it. And I'll tell you, it, it was nothing. It was worse than the accident. Praise God for his mercy. Because uh, all of a sudden, I needed a savior real bad. And praise God, there was one. And there is one, and that's Jesus. He came to the world to save sinners. And that's when I uh, realized that's who I was. And I got saved around uh, Easter 1972. You ever come to your senses? You ever seen yourself the way you really are? You know what I'm talking about, if you have. Because it's something only God can do. And when he does it, man, you know it. So nobody has to tell you, you know, you need to be saved. It's like, man, where is the cross? Lead me there. This blindness is is talked about all over the New Testament, you know. It talks about the God of this world blinding the eyes of those who don't believe. It's like we go around in a fog, you know, or a trance. And it takes coming to your senses, you know, like the scales on Paul's eyes. Being peeled away. That's what needs to happen. Jesus said in Revelation, you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Jesus said, you need some eye salve so you can see clearly. Well, that's what happened to the son here. He saw himself for the first time. And as it's supposed to do, in this case, true sight led to sorrow, which led to repentance. Verses 18 and 19. I love this little rehearsed speech here. These aren't just words. It's from the heart. This guy's speaking from the heart, man. He is really sorry for his sin. Listen, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No qualification, no excuses. You see that? And I am no longer worthy To be called your son. Wow. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's good. No excuses. You know, he could have said, Yeah, I went to this far country and man, I fell in with the wrong crowd. You know? And they misled me. You know? Bad influences. Not my fault. No, I have sinned. No deals. You know, hey, pop, could you loan me some money? I'm a little short right now. No, uh, no glossing over. You know, I'm basically a good guy. You know, it was just a little slip. After all, uh, he knows that our frame is but dust. He says, I am not worthy to be called your son, man. No demands. You say, well, what about the servant? That's not a demand. That's a demotion. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me a servant. Pretend you don't even know me. Wow. You know what this guy's got? He's got a broken heart. That's good. Jesus can't help you until your heart's broken. Now, in the right sense, I mean broken over your sin. It's cool. You know, God can't resist a broken heart. It's you know, this verse in uh, Isaiah, it's amazing when you think about it. Thus says the, the high and lofty one, God speaking, the high and lofty one. okay, beyond our reach. What does he say? Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Amen. It's where he belongs. But the verse doesn't end there. It goes on to say, and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. That's our God. Praise God, he's like that, huh? Man. The words dwell, I'm at home. You know, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Doesn't mean he's not everywhere at once, but it means he dwells, he's at home in that high and lofty place where he belongs and he's at home in a broken heart. A heart broken for sin. Jesus uh, appeals to three strong emotions in this. You say, well, you shouldn't be preaching emotions. That's not good. That's, you know. That's charismatic stuff, man. That's, that's feely goody stuff. Well, Jesus is doing it. He talked about, he he uh, appealed to the emotions we have when we lose something and then when we find it, and here he's appealing to deep sorrow. Now, you got to be careful. There are two kinds of sorrow in the Bible. They're talked about in 2 Corinthians. There's one, he, he says, godly sorrow. That's this kind. He says, it leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. By the way, You know what I just said? I just told you how to get into heaven. Were you listening? That's not a small thing, folks. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, eternal life. No, it's not being a good person. But then he says there's a second sorrow. It's worldly sorrow. Now, we all know that sorrow. Everybody's been worldly sorrow. And he says it leads to death. That's the, um, you know, the, the, the son. He could have been really sorry. He could have shed tears because his money ran out. Right? That's not godly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. Look what happened to me, you know. Poor me. No, that's not the sorrow he's talking about. Have you, listen, think about it honestly. Have you ever really been sorry, experienced sorrow for what you have done personally? That's godly sorrow. That's what God's talking about. Well, like I said, and I mean this reverently, God's a soft touch when it comes to a heart like that. He cannot resist it. And nobody could have put it better than Jesus. It's it's one verse describing the father, but man, it's packed with detail. He comes to his father, verse 20, and he says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Wow. Still a great way off. It says the father saw him when he was still a great way off. That implies a couple of things. It sounds like he was probably watching on a pretty regular basis, like maybe daily. You know? I don't see him, you know? Not there yet. You know, but he keeps watching. There's no accident that he was there when the sun came into view. And uh, if he saw one, he was a great way off. I doubt if he just stepped out on the front porch. You know, I don't know what the train is like around this guy's house, but I'll bet he went and found a nice high place like a hill or something, you know, where he could see way down the road because he doesn't want to wait until the sun just gets up to the front door. He wants to see him as soon as he can. That's why he could see him when he was a great way off. Well, what does he do when he sees him when he's a great way off? First of all, he says he had compassion. It means he was stirred deeply inside. He was moved with, with love and pity for his son. And it resulted in action because he ran. <laughs> this is an old guy running down the road. That's not dignified. Is it? That's not right. Should be the son running up to the dad. But it's the father who goes running toward the son. You know, people are down on God. People that don't know Jesus. They're always complaining about God. He's he's so hard on them and so on. Man, you're going to be in for a big surprise. It's people that are hard hearted, not God. Man, God has got such a tender heart. And Jesus is showing us that right here. Yeah, he ran. He didn't care what people thought. His his, his love for his son just crowded out any other consideration. All he knew was I want to I want to be with my son. I want to hug my son. I want to show him how much I love him. And so he ran. Forget the arthritis, you know. And then Jesus says, he fell on his neck. Fell. You know, he didn't stop and say, welcome back, son. You know, fell. It's a helpless word. You know, he just he abandoned himself. He just embraced his son and fell on his neck. He was so happy to have him back. And of course, Jesus ends with and then he kissed him. The final seal of love and forgiveness behold the heart of god okay that's what jesus is showing us here in case we've forgotten the joy of finding something lost jesus shows it here notice by the way the son hasn't said a word yet and he's spoken all he's done is showed up at a distance so he begins to speak in verse 21 father i have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father starts speaking Did you notice he didn't finish the speech there's more did you catch that you go back and read and he's he's gonna he's gonna say make me one of your sir but the, the father doesn't let him he's so overjoyed so happy to see his son He's interrupted because from the Father's point of view, look, now, this is not a time of sorrow. This is a time of joy. It's time to celebrate. Back in verse 10, it said, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus says, this is the way God is. So the Father celebrates. Do you know God celebrates every time a sinner repents and comes to him? Isn't that cool? It says there's uh, rejoicing in the presence of the angels. It sounds like it's God that's doing the the rejoicing. It's in the presence of the angels. It doesn't say the angels are celebrating. It says it's celebrating our joy in the presence of the angels. How does he do it? Well, here the father brings out a ring and puts it on his hand and, and gives him the best robe. God is so happy when you come to Jesus, when you just come and say, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. The ring is symbolic of, you know what he does? He makes you a son. He adopts you as his child. That's, that's the, the family tie that he forms at that point. And then the, you talk about the best robe. He, he He wraps around you now a robe of righteousness the righteousness of God, not your righteousness, not any old righteousness, the righteousness of God. Okay, that makes you fit for heaven. Well, they're celebrating. And we said the older son who represents the Pharisees, well, he's not too happy about this. He's angry and complaining. You know, the, the son of yours he's not worthy of all this stuff. What are you doing? Think about what he did. All those harlots. I am glad that Jesus included this guy. Because he raises the question that everybody wonders about. You know, he says, he's a worthless scoundrel. Why are you doing this? This isn't right. You shouldn't do this. He's right. Isn't he? Look. Let's summarize what this guy has done. He, he took the father's hard-earned living, half of it. Who knows how long it took for the father to get to this point. And we don't know how short a time it was, but since it, it, he was prodigal, that is he just threw it away. It probably didn't take very long. It's gone. I mean, he didn't even like make a bad investment, you know, on the stock market. That almost might be forgivable. No, he deliberately spent this money on carousing and certainly probably drunkenness, harlots, immorality. The worst kind of sin. He went down into the cesspool with his money until it was all gone, nothing left, in a very short time. What does this guy deserve? Come on. Let's be honest. I'll tell you, when he shows up, man, It's time to say, hey, I don't know who you are. You get out of here. We have no connection. What you did to me is unforgivable. Is that what he deserves? And yet, the father is celebrating, acting as if he didn't do anything at all. In fact, as if he'd done a wonderful thing because they're having a party. Whoa. What's going on here? 1 Peter 4 8, great verse. You know what it says? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. The love of God covers a multitude of sins. And so it is with God. You know, he's, he's moved by his son's repentance. That's it, that's the key. Because the son is brokenhearted about what he has done to his father. That's it. It's as if the father has forgotten it all. He's forgiven. He's totally restored. And so God celebrates. So praise the Lord. He he uh, he answers it. Here's the answer of the Father, verse 32. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now you read that, and you go, wait a minute. There's nothing new here. He's already said that. Look back here at uh, verse 24. He's already said, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he really hasn't explained himself. What he's saying is, the reason for all of this is in my heart, because of who I am and the way I am. It's in hidden in my heart of love. That's the reason for it. I've forgiven my son. And so they have a party. Where are you? Where are you? In your relationship with God. Are you still in the far country? Far from God? Happy to take from Him daily His blessings and His benefits? But wanting nothing to do with Him personally? Someday that will end. And you're going to find yourself in want like the sun here. Wanting a Savior. But it'll be too late. Well, God is waiting right now. He's watching right now. He's done everything that he can do. In fact, you know, in the case of the father here, it was just a matter of forgiving him from his heart and bringing him back in. It costs God everything to make it possible for you to come back to him. Cost him his own son. My dear wife spent hours rummaging around that stinking uh trash bin jesus came to a cross and took your sins in his body to bring you back to himself and he's waiting he's watching waiting for you to come let's pray father we thank you so much for your word And Lord Jesus, we pray for anyone here who's still in that far country, far from God, spending, throwing away the blessings and benefits that you lavish on them daily with no thought for you. Lord, we pray that this might be the day that they come to their senses, that they come to themselves, that they for the first time see things clearly. What they have done to you and yet what you're willing to do for them. If they just come with a broken heart and say, I have sinned and that they might get that ring of sonship upon their finger and the robe of righteousness from you. We thank you, Father, for making a way for us to return to the lover of our souls. In Jesus' precious name, amen.